The FT. A spending review for a diminished country, October the twentieth, two thousand and ten. With the comprehensive spending review, the UK at last sees some of the details behind the coming fiscal squeeze. The questions now are whether the package will work politically, in terms of reform of government, and not least economically. These will not be answered tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, but over the Parliament. Start with the politics. George Osborne, the UK's youthful and decidedly posh Chancellor of the Exchequer, did his best to present the proposed cuts as not only the inevitable result of the incompetence of his Labour predecessors, but as supportive of growth, fairness, and efficiency. He even adopted many of Gordon Brown's discredited presentational tricks. But his grizzled opponent, Labour's new shadow chancellor, Alan Johnson, was no less sure-footed. He noted that the financial crisis was hardly restricted to the UK, that there is no consensus on the need to cut so fast, and not least that assertions about the fairness of the package are highly debatable. Mr. Johnson, a former postman, is an ideal person to make such a case in the years ahead. Ed Miliband, the new Labour leader, has chosen shrewdly. Nevertheless, the politics of the cuts do, at first glance, look clever. The ring fencing of health and development assistance and the protection of schools can be presented as progressive. The pain seems concentrated relatively narrowly. This should prove good politics, provided the government can manage the backlash from those directly affected, particularly public employees. Yet Mr. Osborne's big political difficulty remains: if the economy turns out to be persistently weak, as it might, the government will be blamed. It will never win credit for any hypothetical crisis averted. Now turn to the details of the package. The big cuts in major spending departments are in support for local government, a cumulative cut of 27% in real terms by 2014-15, in business innovation and skills down 25%, largely because of cuts in support for teaching in higher education, and in the Home Office and the Justice Department, both down 23%. In addition to health and development assistance, schools, defence, and Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland have come out at least relatively unscathed. But pain will be felt everywhere. Even protected health will find this a brutal change from the previous glut. So, is the UK at the dawn of a new era of better focused and more efficient government and better targeted and more effective welfare? I hope so. But I have heard this many times before: the slashing of investment, so traditional when the UK is in fiscal difficulties, suggests not. This partly reflects the fact, obvious in the discussion of today's choices, that the UK government is obsessed with its liabilities but fails to account for its assets. Critics could also note the absence of any compelling supply-side agenda. Finally, let us consider the broad economics. The Chancellor presents the proposal for cutting fiscal deficits and reducing the share of public spending in gross domestic product as, I quote, unavoidable. This is not so. It was a choice to concentrate so much of the fiscal adjustment on spending. Similarly, the UK government was never Greece or Ireland. Would it have become Ireland without this consolidation? Maybe, but probably not. 
the Chancellor presents the hypothesis of looming national bankruptcy. If so, the UK must have been bankrupt for much of the past two centuries. The government makes much of the fact that the standing of UK debt has improved since it came into office, but the spread of gilts over US 10-year debt has actually increased since the election, even though the US has next to no policies for fiscal consolidation. The US may be a special case, but this and the experience elsewhere remind one that it is not enough to seek to slash structural deficits. It is also necessary for the economy to grow vigorously. Will this happen? Maybe so, but it is foolish to be sure of that. The Chancellor and the Treasury are confident and persuasive. They can also point to the array of official organisations that support them. Having written on the UK economy for 23 years, I know it was ever thus. Yet in retrospect, the government was quite wrong, perhaps as much as half of the time. Economics is always an art, not a science. So will it be different this time? The answer to that depends on whether the pre-Keynesian views of this government are correct, that one should look on the finances of government as if they were just like those of a household, that monetary policy remains effective and that fiscal deficits do nothing to support activity. Do I believe all this? No. Am I sure I am right? No, but then neither can the government be. This may be a great policy success or the biggest fiscal blunder since the early 1930s. More likely it will be in between. Time, as the cliché goes, will tell. And this is not to argue that cutting the fiscal deficit could be avoided. The country is poorer than it thought it was. But the choice of how, and above all how quickly, to adjust has had to be made. The government has chosen. Both it and the country must live with the painful consequences. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.